I'm Heather. And I'm Carrie. And welcome to When Calls the Podcast. We are two sisters that love everything One Calls the Heart. And we will be recapping every episode starting with season one. Hey hearties, we are delighted to be starting this podcast where we will be chit-chatting and recapping every episode of When Calls the Heart. Today we are starting with season one, the very first episode, Lost and Found. But before we get into that, we are going to chit-chat and tell you a little bit more of why we love One Calls the Heart and how we were introduced to One Calls the Heart. Yeah. So Heather, tell me, how were you introduced? So I was introduced to When Calls the Heart, first of all, probably because of the pilot movie. Okay. I watched the pilot movie way before, I can't remember when it even came out. Yeah, I would have to look that up. I'm not sure. I think it was early, like 2010, (laughs) 2011, I think. I'm not sure. Maybe. Sounds about right. It was sometime around then. And I watched the pilot movie. And I absolutely adored it. It was so good. And I just loved the whole storyline, the plot line of her reading her diaries and thinking about how her aunt ventured off west. It was so great. And I loved Poppy Drayton in the movie as Elizabeth. She was so good. She was great. And then my family, I remember, it was, oh, it was a while after the pilot movie. Mm -hmm. They said we should watch the TV show. And for some reason, as a kid, I just did not like trying new things. I didn't (laughs) like watching new shows. It was terrible. Now I love trying new TV series. But before, I was dead set on what series I liked and what I did not like. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. And plus, it was a different actress. It wasn't Poppy Drayton that was playing Elizabeth. Don't change anything on Heather. She doesn't like it. I better with change now. I hope I'm better with change now. Growing up, she was not good with it. No, I was a hoarder as a child, too. Oh, she was. You should have seen her room. Oh, my goodness. I was a little pack rat. I would just, I would hide things everywhere. It's terrible. Now I'm trying to do better about it. I'm no longer a hoarder. I don't no, think I. do pretty good. I don't need to call anyone for my help. So, yeah, never get help over this. Go on that TV show. <laughs> no, I'm not that bad. Anyway, where was I? Anyway, so I was not quite as impressed uh, with the other actors, mm-hmm. which is Aaron Krako, but I kept on watching, and now, oh, Aaron Krako, I love you. You're amazing, and I'm so happy you're our Elizabeth, because... Yeah. No one else could play Elizabeth like Erin Krako. No, she she's amazing. I yeah, I love her so much. Um, so I I think first started, I think actually maybe you were the one who introduced me to the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was familiar with like Jeanette Oak and the like the Love Comes Softly series. I had read the books growing up, of course watched the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I really like that. But I don't believe I've ever have read the One Calls the Heart series. I don't think I have either. I think I started reading the very first one, but I never finished it. Okay. I I have read some of her other books, but I haven't read the direct series of okay. One Calls the Heart. Okay, yeah. I need to read those. But I have read her Love Comes Softly series. Yeah, so my Love Comes Softly series that I had was um, a book my grandma gave to me oh. that she had read. It was the whole series. And sometimes she would, for a birthday gift, they didn't have a lot of money, so they she would, like, gift us uh, books. And she would, like, write in the cover of the book, like, to Carrie. Then she put the date oh. and, like, 
Grandma Carlin and oh yeah. So I, I love that. I never knew really? that. Oh, that's so sweet. That's yeah, amazing. That was the Love Comes Softly series that she gave me oh, one year that. for my birthday. Nice. <laughs> we also have another amazing connection to this show. We went to the very first Hardy's reunion. We did. It, we did. It was so it was so great and I would not trade that trip for anything. Oh, it was it was really amazing trip. Um Going to Vancouver or the Vancouver area, I hadn't been to that side of Canada before, so that was really fun, really good experience. It was just us two sisters going, and um, yeah, seeing like where it's filmed at, the set was so amazing. I that was I loved that so much because you just kind of got a a visual for how everything is laid out, and you're able to go inside the buildings and. Then, of course, meeting the cast. I yeah. Mean. And fun fact, too, is now the Hardy Reunion, I think they have it, is it in Vancouver or Fort Langley? Uh, somewhere, yeah. Yeah, anyway. And it's normally at a different building. Mm-hmm. And then the Hardys get to go to the set and look at the set. We got to meet the actors in the saloon of One Calls <laughs> La Heart. And mm-hmm. I remember it was so great because me and Carrie were sitting in the saloon. We had already met the cast, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we're just sitting there chilling, and we're just, like, watching the cast interact with other people. Yeah. We're just sitting there in the saloon chilling. It just felt like a dream. It and really did. <laughs> it it was, really did. It was so who, who was your favorite cast member to meet? Oh, oh, there was so many great ones to talk to. I was quite tickled that Daniel Lassine said my name and shook my hand and said Heather with his beautiful Aussie accent, and I might have just melted a little bit then, but I really enjoyed talking to Pascal and Kevin. You know, that's who I was going to say. We had a great little conversation with them. They were the sweetest, most warm people ever. I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. talking with them. Yeah, and then also the actress um, that plays Dottie, I was was so happy about this. I went to shake her hand, and my hand was freezing. It was cold. It was cold. It It was was in, when was it, February or no? Oh, March? March, something like that. No, January. Yeah, it It was was in January, and it's very cold and rainy, and that area then and so it was freezing cold and so I go to shake her hand and she's like your hand's freezing so she gives me her hand heat pack and I kept that thing in my pocket for years do you still have it in your coat pocket I think I lost it <laughs> was like, was like could, um what do I want to say um I was a little star attached I was attached it. remember I said that I like to collect things that was one of the things I like to collect uh yeah but that was an amazing trip it was great it was a wonderful experience. Are you ready to dive in? I am ready. Okay, so the scene starts out with Elizabeth riding in the stagecoach on her way to Coe Valley, and she's just kind of talking about how she's going on this daring adventure and who encouraged her to go on this adventure, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And I think it was, you said it was Julie. Yeah, I think, because she made mention of Julie. Yeah. It, her inspiration. Yeah, it almost sounded like Julie challenged her a little mm. bit. Almost like, you can't do this. And so Elizabeth's <laughs> like, yes, I can do this. And yeah. so she's in the stagecoach. And then suddenly, who comes? Stagecoach Roberts. Yes. Well, one thing. So she's riding in the stagecoach. How long a drive would it be from Hamilton to where to Coal Valley? And actually, where is Coal Valley in Canada? Do we ever know that? We know where Hamilton is, which is by Toronto. Yes. But where's Coal Valley at? That is somewhere the great, in the middle, maybe. 
That's a great mystery. <laughs> it, when it starts off the episode, it says 1910, mm-hmm. Northwest Territory. Territory. Okay. We don't know. So somewhere north and somewhere west. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. I'm not exactly sure. And I don't think they've ever really said. We're going to have to do more research Because, like, Hamilton is a real town. Yeah, Hamilton's real. But Coal Valley, I don't believe. Is, is real. I wish it was. Yeah. I'd go there. I'd live there. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure how far away it is. Yeah. Exactly. It had to have been a little while because she must have been on that stagecoach for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I just can't imagine, like, being on a stagecoach for days. No. I mean, if you had any kind of back problems... <laughs> Butt problems. (laughs) (laughs) Edit that out. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So, one question I had was, what happened to the stagecoach driver? He's gone. Did he kidnap? Did he get shot? Is laying there dead somewhere? He's gone. That's what I want to know. I well, I was watching this episode. I never even thought about it pre- previously. Yeah, me neither. But when I was sitting there and Elizabeth's picking up all her clothes, there's no horses. There's no stagecoach driver. What happened to him? Did he just run away? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> the horses either they took them or they, you know, ran off from the gunshots. You but, know, but but question: Why did the bank robbers or stagecoach robbers not kidnap Elizabeth? Yeah, I mean, she she looked wealthy. Could have had ransom for her. Yeah, she'd know? make lots of money. Or not she. They would make lots, lots of, of money. money. Yeah, yeah. But maybe she hid well enough. Yeah, because she was kind of she, laying on the floor. Of the yeah, well, as soon something. as she heard the gunshot, she hurried up and hit the floor. <laughs> Smart girl. So she arrives in Cool Valley, and she goes into the general store because she arrived in a wagon. She must yeah. have caught a ride or something. Mm-hmm. So she goes into the mercantile, and she meets the widows or the mothers that are hiring her to have this teacher teaching position. And yeah. they, she is definitely not what they expected. I think they were expecting someone maybe older. Mm-hmm. She seems, looks very young and somebody not quite so, as I think Florence later calls her a princess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's more very uh, from high society. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And she knows nothing of what happened to this town mm. at all. As we find out, there's been a huge mining disaster that's killed most of the men in Coal Valley. Yeah. And that was only three months ago. And Elizabeth knows nothing about this from the superintendent of yeah, schools. Yeah, you would thought he would have said something to prepare her. Because she's walking into a lot of grief, a lot of upheaval. I mean, wouldn't you want to be a little prepared to know, like, how to, you know, know what the children are going through? Yeah, and... definitely. I just feel bad for Elizabeth because this is probably her first position Mm -hmm. teaching position from right out of teacher's college and here she is thrown into this situation and also she is not going to be teaching in a typical school she's going to be teaching in the saloon yeah yeah so the women agree even though they don't necessarily think she's qualified for Mm -hmm. the job they agree to let her take on this position and plus the stagecoach isn't supposed to come, I guess, for a week? Yeah, Abigail says something about she's here for a week anyways because the stagecoach won't be here for another week, so let's give her a, a trial run. Trial so she's run. 
I'm gonna try this out for a week. All right, fingers crossed that this goes well. Elizabeth then moves into the Teachridge, um, and she is from Hamilton, which is definitely a lot different than Coal Valley. Elizabeth's used to high society life, maids, people taking care of her, probably going to extra lengths to make sure she is has the most comfortable life as possible. People cooking her food so she does not have to eat a raw turnip. <laughs> that raw turnip, though. Who who sees a raw turnip and thinks, oh, I am going to eat that like an yeah. apple? She just, like, bit it right into it. Like, I've never tried a raw turnip. I mean, maybe they, they're tasty, but... I don't think so. Like, even just looking at one, I'm like, oh, I don't want to try that thing. I kind of remind you of an onion, though, in a way, the way it looked. Yeah. Who would want to bite into an onion, man? Ooh. She also has the perils of the outhouse that she somehow survives and because she's probably used to indoor plumbing i'm guessing it is 1910 yeah but they probably had some type of like bathing room or restroom inside because she act like she was not used to it yeah that's true i was just thinking of little house on the prairie because in the later seasons of little house nels and olsen installs a toilet for harriet if you remember that and that would have been that was in the 1800s. 1800s. I mean, who knows if that's accurate or not, but I was just thinking of that. Yeah, I would say that they probably would if she lived in the city. Yeah, I would say so. And she also combusts the stove, and which was a nice little nod to the pilot movie, I thought. Yeah, With her true. aunt uh, having the same thing happen to her as well. And then, what do you think of her fending off the wolves, Carrie? She has, like, a wooden spoon, like, uh, Elizabeth, um, at least grab, like, the cast iron skillet. <laughs> you might do some more, some damage with that, but a little wooden spoon. I'm gonna kill off some wolves with my wooden spoon. I guess it was probably just something that made her feel like she had some kind of weapon, but... Somehow protected. The wolf, I mean, he, he would care less about the little wooden spoon. Yeah, and which... She probably didn't care much about anything else after the teach ridge suddenly catches on fire due to her dress. I mean, this girl has had it rough. I mean, getting the stagecoach, that whole ordeal, having it robbed, having all her clothes taken, having a really rough first meeting with the mothers. They am not liking her. And then, yeah, we have the stove, the wolves, the fire. I mean, <laughs> the turnip. Oh, the turnip. I mean, like... Oh my, I would be ready to leave. Yeah. Oh, okay, quick. Uh, this is something I just thought of. Uh, she is standing outside of the teacherage, mm -hmm. just watching it burn. Why? Why, why didn't she run to get help? Yeah, and where was the teacherage located at? I mean, we know where the building is. We do? Yeah. Okay, the teacherage, mm -hmm. that was filmed. Uh, okay, it's right behind the mercantile oh really yeah oh, it's i'm okay. almost 100 percent positive that okay. was the same building that they filmed with okay i'm oh. guessing it looks almost exactly like it you have okay. to keep your eyes open yeah for that. I have to look for that. but she just has like a little measly bucket that she drops and she's in her bloomers and she starts crying and she doesn't yeah. go to get help i mean if it was that close to town why? I mean, I guess people probably eventually came, but... I don't know that it's supposed to be the oh, same place, because the okay. teacher is supposed to have burnt down. Okay. So it's just they used that, that building. building. It made it look like it was farther out of town or something. Yeah, I yeah. think that's okay. how it was. So then we see Abigail 
taking in Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth is at her house, and it seems like Elizabeth is going to be staying at Abigail's for the time being. And Abigail is so kind, so sweet. I love her so much. But I really believe this was the start of their friendship. I agree. This Just this small act of kindness of Abigail taking Elizabeth in, it was probably like in the middle of the night, and she needed a place to stay, so Abigail just took her right yeah. in. This is what I adore about Abigail. She's always willing to help the people that no one else in town seems to care for or want to help. Yeah, yeah, so true. So then Elizabeth has her very first day at school, and as she's at the saloon, all the children are coming up to her and talking to her, and then the mothers are coming, and the poor thing gets slightly bombarded by all these mothers telling her exactly what their children need, that they don't want homework, their child needs to sit in this certain area, and poor Elizabeth is just kind of standing there. Yeah, and then, and then she has another one of her fabulous quotes, which she had done earlier with the mothers. And I'm just like, Elizabeth, like, read the room, girl. Like, her Latin, you know, you're not in Hamilton anymore. No, <laughs> I'm pretty sure none of these women know Latin. They all look very confused by her phrase. I did think it was adorable that the little blonde-haired boy, when he's like, <laughs> I forget what he said, I got cheese for lunch. And she's like, yes. oh, I, I like cheese. cheese. <laughs> So and he goes in. Oh man, that kid, he's so adorable. Oh uh, yeah. And so anyway, she she's getting overwhelmed by these ladies and she kind of just clears her throat and she's like, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I just need a drink. And the mothers just look at her and she <laughs> stops and she's like, Not, Not a, a drink, drink drink. I don't drink. <laughs> and then she stops. Good day. <laughs> it turns around. Yeah, good day. It walks in. What a way to start a first day at school. Uh, once again, nothing is going easy for her. No, no, it's not. And so she is starting her class. Things She's explaining the rules and what she expects from the students. And then suddenly the whistle blows yeah. and all the children just start running out of the saloon and Alyssa was very confused by this because she wasn't raised in a coal mining town, but the kids know that whistle, like, they know that whistle. More miners' bodies have been found in the mine, and I can only imagine this moment was extremely, probably really hard for Abigail. I'm assuming that her husband was one of the men that was found in the mine. Yeah, because we later see the mass funeral, and she is standing in front of a coffin. As well as Kat, and was at Florence, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And they know that their husbands are dead. Mm-hmm. But just think of not, like, their bodies just being in there. And right now, mm-hmm. they found their bodies three months later. Yeah, I think the wor- one of the worst would have been in the very beginning for, like, say, the first you know, a couple of weeks, you have no idea if they're still alive in there. Yeah. And if they are alive, if they're trapped and can't get out. I, I mean, I can't imagine the torture. I mean, after a month or so, you're like, okay, they're, they're gone. They're you gone. Know? I mean, but. But oof. just, and like, be so you're hard. not having the power to go and do anything mm-hmm. about it. They could just be trapped and yeah. slowly dying and you can't do anything. I can imagine. Oh, that'd be <clears throat> so terrible. So terrible. But then. The miners, one of the miners holds up this sign that says, forgive me, Pa. Am I the only one perplexed by this? 
I was, I think the very first time I watched it, I was really confused by the sign. I, well, at first I was confused because I thought it said, forgive me, Paul. Like, it was, I didn't read the comma. Um, but I just wasn't sure, like, what is this person asking forgiveness for? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess because he, you know, put his life in danger and, but like, it's not his fault that the mine explode. No. Unless, oh, 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 later on with Gowan. And uh, he knew something about the unsafe safety. mining conditions. We, we find out that, spoiler alert, but we find out that it's <laughs> Abigail's husband, Noah, yeah. that did it, and mm-hmm. that wrote on the sign. Yeah. So maybe it has something connected to that. And they say at some point, I don't, I think it's somewhere later in the season, or maybe even season two, about Noah knowing something about the mine. Yeah. Unsafety in the mine. So maybe that's what he's apologizing for. I that just thought be. of that. That I was could always be. so perplexed, like, why, why does he have to apologize? Like, what did he do that was so wrong? Yeah, but I mean, people... He's working, providing for his family. Yeah. But people are very emotional about this sign. Oh, my goodness. Like, that's what has has me so confused, because I'm touched that someone wrote something to their loved one, but they are so protective of this sign. A guy stands in front of Gowan's vehicle about ready to get ran over because they demand the sign, because Gowan took it into custody yeah and i really think it's because emotions are running high right now mm-hmm. just the flooding memories of what happened mm-hmm. is just resurfacing resurfacing everything and as this whole scenario and situation is unfolding who rides in well hello constable jack thornton that red surge though oh mm-hmm. be still my beating heart <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Jack rides in and he tries to clear up the situation mm-hmm. and doesn't he tell the wives to submit their handwriting of their husbands? Yes, yeah, he says something to that effect. And we find out that he is the new constable of Coal Valley. Yeah, and a quick little history note, the Northwest Mounted Police was officially founded on May 23rd, 1873. Okay. And but it was later changed to the Royal Northwest Mounted Police in 1904. So that's what Jack would have been called and would would have been on his surge. Okay. And then later in the 1920s, it was changed to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And that's what it is today. Then. I believe so. Okay. I that believe so. Right. And so Mounties basically were responsible for keeping the peace and order in the new Western expansion and making sure the Canadian laws were obeyed. And they also dealt with a lot, tons of unfair whiskey traders that sold their whiskey to Native Americans. It was, it was really sad that these whiskey runners from the United States just really took advantage of the Native Americans. So the Mounties were trying to resolve that as well as keep peace in the territories everywhere else. Okay. Wow. Next is Jack and Elizabeth's cutesy meet and greet. (laughs) (laughs) It starts off really, really cute. It does. And adorable. A little flirtiness from Jack. At least I think it was. Getting cheated of that chalk dust. (laughs) (laughs) But that quickly, that quickly changes after he finds out that he is there because of Elizabeth's father. Yeah, yeah, that, he was not happy about that at all, and he, once again, Elizabeth gets referred to as a princess. He calls her a princess. 
because what did he say? He says, I don't, something about having to protect Elizabeth so she doesn't get any, like, stubbed toes or something. Yeah, um, and she's like, um, no, I can take care of my own stub toes. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. <laughs> her, her guts right there. I love it. Oh, I know. Me too. Uh, so they're not off to a great start, but I kind of really like their little conflict back and forth. And yeah, well, it would have been, it would be boring if they instantly just loved each other and right. it was just smooth sailing. You have to have right. a little bit of, you know, conflict, conflict <laughs> to make it intriguing and cute. Yes. Um, but anyway, um, so the shipping port that Jack was supposed to go to was Cape Fullerton, and that is actually located in the far north peninsula in Nunavut, Canada, off the Hudson Bay. Oh. So it's a real place, apparently. Okay. I never heard of it, but apparently it's very small, okay. and they had a Mountie post up there. Hmm. Well, then we have um, Jack asking for a transfer yeah. after he finds out that, you know, he's there because of Elizabeth's father and because of Elizabeth. He's, get me out of here. Like, I'm leaving. I can't blame the guy, though. He had his heart set on going up to Kate Fullerton, and then suddenly he was reassigned. Yeah, I mean, he definitely feels that Coal Valley is a sleepy little town, like, but even he, I mean, he knows there was just this coal mine disaster. So there's definitely stuff going Some on. Some type of. But I guess at that point, he doesn't know for sure that there was anything malicious happening. Yeah, until he finds that telegraph oh, in yeah. the waste bin. He, as he's waiting for his telegraph to be sent, he finds something in the waste bin that says something to the effect of unsafe mining conditions, and so he just sneakily puts that in his surge and walks out and then soon after we see elizabeth walking through town and she oh, looks I love off this part. and she sees jack chopping wood <laughs> and it, it just really got her going she's so she's walking and she has like i don't know if it's a book from school or something just tablet something and she's just like fanning herself starting fanning ah uh, so funny that moment she stops she looks and then she starts fanning, and she gets so flustered. She does. She's so flustered. And that's what makes it so incredibly good, because it's her signature move. When she's fanning, you know she's got the hots for them. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth then returns back home to Abigail's and is helping Abigail get ready for supper. Little does she know that they have a guest coming. Abigail's an Abigail informs her. And who is that guest? Jack. 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 Thornton. <laughs> he shows up in that beautiful shiner that she's wearing oh, from, yes. from school. He says that it's a nice shiner. And yeah. The look on her face, though, when he, she opens the door, she's just like, you. You. And he's like, you. Nice shiner. <laughs> and they walk in. And then Jack notices a painting on the wall, which is very observant of him. He well, walks. we know later that he is very artistic. That's true. So that's true. part of the reason he was probably fascinated by the painting. Yeah. Later learned. That is true. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. How could I forget about that? <laughs> so he walks over and examines the painting. Also, if you notice, he's really examining the signature at the bottom of the painting, which says Noah Stanton, which would be Abigail's husband. Mm -hmm. And so he asks about the painting, and yeah, Abigail says that her husband was quite the artist. 
Yeah. And so they sit down for dinner and Jack asks Abigail about the disaster, what mm-hmm. she remembers that day. Yeah. And Yeah, this this scene always it gives me goosebumps just thinking about what those women went through as Abigail's reliving this moment. She says she remembers the loud boom, the shaking, the windows cracking, and like all the women just running, mm. hoping that their husbands were safe or their husband wasn't the one in that mine. And not only their husband, their sons. And their sons. I, I forgot about that. So Abigail lost not only her husband, but her son Peter as well in that mind. And yeah, oh, that's so heartbreaking for Abigail. And just the hopelessness of oh, that whole circumstance. Yeah, it truly is so, so tragic. Next is the funny scene with Jack and Elizabeth. She follows him out of Abigail's house and she's so frustrated with him for bringing up the whole mining accident and just triggering Abigail to relive those memories and she calls him insensitive but he says that he's inquisitive and she's like so you think you can juice all kinds of details out of like one encounter Mm. and he's like I knew from the moment I met you that you weren't wearing your own dress and shoes or something like that shoes are too small dress was a little tight around the the waist really observant he's very observant (laughs) and that he that she was happy that he came to dinner (laughs) and she's like she's like well how would you know that and he goes into his whole spiel about how he noticed that she was walking on the sides of her feet to combat for her small shoes that her dress was a little too short that it was kind of tight and then the whole dinner bit was just a guess and she, she's like, how dare you? And she just, yeah, stomp, not stomps off, but she turns around and goes back inside. Yeah, she, she's not happy. Not happy and I like that little smirk on Jack's face as he just walks he off. He knows he got her good. He knows he got her. Now on a more sobering note, once again, the funerals take place for the widows, and there were so many bodies that were being buried did you count them I didn't count them it was just like a really sad scene it was and the whole music that music was so touching I kind of wish they could put that music in the show more often it was just beautiful I got goosebumps and it was so tragically sad but you know how I like tragically sad yes you do there's a hopeless romantic I'm a hopeless romantic with a very dark mind I don't know I just live for sad things yeah it doesn't make sense but it just added to all my feels for this moment but there was someone missing at that funeral yeah someone is in Gowan's office stealing the forgive me paw sign you don't see who it is you just see the hand stealing it stealing it hmm I wonder who that could be Now that the plaque is missing, Gowan has one of his Pinkertons Mm -hmm. come and get Jack. And Gowan and Jack have this whole discussion about about the plaque going missing, but most importantly about Gowan recruiting new miners. And what does new miners mean? It means more housing. Yeah. 
I feel so bad. The women have lost so much already, and now they're losing their homes that they had built. Or they didn't build these homes, but they had built memories in these homes with their husband and their with their sons, and like that's they're gonna have to give all that up. Yeah, I really feel bad for the widows, but I'm gonna kind of disagree on this one. From from a business perspective, Gowan is a savvy businessman. He mm-hmm. knows that if he doesn't get new miners, that the town is going to go under. Mm-hmm. And he's let those widows stay in those houses for three months. I don't think even without without any charge. And he really needs to get this town booming again. And where is he going to house those miners? Put him in a tent. I guess they they could live in a tent. Well, interesting. Like, but the miners, I guess, would all be coming with families as well, the new miners. Yeah, so they're going to need a solid housing. Yeah. I know, I get that. It's just, I just feel like it's unfair. I mean, I know, I know, you know, he let them stay there for, you know, three months, which I is, you know, considerate of him, but I still, still think it's really sad. I still feel bad for the widows, but I kind of, I get where Henry Gowan is coming from. Yeah. Then in the classroom, Gabe is just kind of fooling around, kind of in yeah. the saloon. I think Elizabeth just notices that he something's off. Like yeah, something's not right. Which I feel like Gabe has been off this entire episode. Yeah. He just he's dealing with a lot right now, and so Gabe goes off, and Elizabeth decides to follow him. So she follows him into the woods, and she meets up with Jack. And, of course she does. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a little argument about why each other is there and who should be the one checking mm-hmm. on Gabe, which they decide to both do it together. Mm-hmm. And they go in, and what they see is heartbreaking. So sad. Like, Gabe has this, like, little shrine, basically, mm-hmm. to his father, and he has the sign there. And along with other mementos that I, you know, baseball, a pocket watch, a candle, uh, so many of his father's belongings. And I wonder, did, how did he get those items? Did he take them? Did Kat give them to him? I'm guessing they're probably just laying around the house and he just took them. I don't know if Kat would have really noticed if some, some of it being gone. That's true. Or maybe she did say, you know, here, these are for you to remember your dad by. That's true, yeah, because I couldn't see Kat just throwing out her husband's stuff because she said, I think when she gave a sample of his writing to Mr. Gowan that her husband wrote her little love notes all Mm -hmm. the time and she kept them. She's sentimental. She's pretty sentimental, so she could have gave them to Gabe or Gabe just slowly collected them and made his own little place of remembrance for his Mm -hmm. father. So they're, they're talking with Gabe about the sign and Gabe is saying you know like he had to have left it for me like it was for me it was Mm -hmm. for me and I love what Elizabeth says she said um sometimes people die without I love yous or I forgive yous but just because that happens doesn't mean they would have said it if they could have Mm -hmm. and I really love that it was such a tender tender moment yeah it's so true too because that's what everyone wants is to hear that last sentimental I love you or mm-hmm. goodbye or that I will final see word. you. Yeah, I'll see you again. But most of the time, that's not our reality. Mm-hmm. Rarely do people get those moments yeah. with their loved ones before they die. And it's just a beautiful quote, just a great reminder. Another reason why I love this show is just yeah, heartfelt moments that happen. Yeah, absolutely. 
And nearing the end of the episode, Jack, Elizabeth, and Gabe then go and take the plaque to its rightful owner, which is Abigail. So it was Noah Stanton who wrote this message, which we said earlier, spoiler. (laughs) But he wrote this message to Abigail, I'm guessing, and she knew that it was Noah's handwriting. She, I think she knew from the very beginning it was Noah's. I think um, so. But she had told Elizabeth and Jack that she knew that it would set her apart from the other women because she would have something to remember Noah by and they wouldn't have anything to remember their husbands by. And like, how selfless. I mean, mm-hmm. And yeah, to go along with that, then she had it hung up in the saloon so all the kids yeah. could see it, all the community. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the very last scene or maybe it's not the last, next to the last, is Gabe looking up and seeing mm-hmm. the sign in the saloon. Yeah. And he just has this, you know, smile on his face. Yeah. And just, it's so sweet. Just a great way to remember all their fathers. Yeah. yeah. And that message of hope. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was our recap, guys. And so now it is time for our highs and lows. All right, Gary, what are your highs and your lows? Alrighty, I would say my highs is just the fun little banter between Elizabeth and Jack. There was just so many cute little scenes when they're just like frustrated with each other and irritated with each other that it just was, I mean, because there was a lot of um, heaviness in this episode. Mm -hmm, So I think that kind of helped, you know, bring a little bit of comedy. Yeah, I, I agree. So what's your lows? Um, I guess my low would just be the sadness. Everything, all the lives lost, the grief it was very heavy. You could feel the grief, and that would have to be my low. Yeah, I I think definitely my low. I'm gonna start with my low. Okay, <laughs> is definitely just the whole grief of what the widows are going through, what they did go through, mm-hmm. and just that constant reminder because they're stuck in Coal Valley. They mm-hmm. They have, like, Abigail has really no family there, and they're just all alone, but they have each other, which is a great reason why I like this show so much, is its sense of community and coming together. So they do have each other that they can lean upon. But just the overall doom and gloom and sadness is my low, but my high is my favorite moment of probably this episode is what we already discussed. When Elizabeth sees Jack chopping wood and she starts fanning herself and she's like, mm-hmm, and she just, she walks off. Of course, off. that would be your favorite. <laughs> it's just so comical and it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, it is a great scene. I love it. So now it is our hearty rating. So Heather, from a scale of one to 10, how many hearts would you rate this episode? Mm. Oh, okay. So this first episode they set the bar high they had everything in this episode the drama the romance the like just sadness Mm -hmm. but then like just the comfort they had so many elements the mystery a little bit of comedy yes they had so many elements to it so i'm gonna give this episode a solid eight oh very good so for me, I will one-up you. Really? I will give it a nine. Nine hearts. A nine? I really love this episode. I think it's a great a great start to the season. Yeah. I, I think it was wonderful. Yeah, a great way to start off the show. 
All right, guys. So that was our episode one, Lost and Found. And we hope you will join us next time. We will be dropping a new episode next Friday. You can follow us on Twitter at WCTH Podcast and on Instagram at When Calls the Podcast. Or you can drop us an email at When Calls the Pod at gmail.com. And until then, may you face every obstacle with courage, grace, and dignity.